We'll be reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 7. Luke chapter 22, verse 7. Let us now give our hearts and minds attention to God's Word. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they departed and found just as he had told it. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And having taken a cup, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And having taken some bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man through whom he is betrayed. Here ends this reading from God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 32. Will you give careful attention to the reading of God's word? For I received from the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. Uh, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be 
condemned along with the world. Amen. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this important part of his word. The first lesson that was read was read from the gospel according to Luke. And you remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he had said uh, with an earnest desire, he desired to celebrate the Passover. I've often wondered who that man with the pitcher was who would have been bearing a pitcher of water that they followed and about that upper room where they went that night. But that upper room changed the whole history of the whole wide world because what took place in that upper room that night is taking place in Gaither Chapel this day and not only here but in many another chapel around the world in great cathedrals in little country churches and rescue missions and in many many different places because what God has shown us here is that at the cross he has utterly exhausted himself in bringing to us the fullest measure of devotion and the fullest redemption that could be possibly accomplished for us. He took, of course, the Lord Jesus took, of course, the meal that they would be familiar with from their Old Testament days, his disciples, all Jews. Remember how they had been in bondage in Egypt and how God, through a series of uh, using Moses, and some dramatic events that took place delivered them out of that bondage and brought them through a wilderness journey and brought them to a promised land. And uh, God had told them ere they left Egypt that they were to celebrate a Passover. And that Passover meant that the angel of death, which was the last of the plagues that was, would visit the people of Egypt, and the the one plague by which Pharaoh would let God's people go, that all of those who took the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost of the lintel of the house, that the angel of death would pass over that place. And that was to be a type or a symbol of the atonement. And so Jesus transforms that Passover meal into what we call the Lord's Supper, he transforms the bitter herbs, he takes uh, the roast lamb, he points to himself as offering himself as the sacrifice, and the cup is the cup of his own blood. It's interesting to me that that cup was a cup of victory. The Jews who celebrated the Passover always kept a cup for Elijah because Elijah was supposed to come back before Messiah would come. And they kept a cup of wine for Elijah. And so Jesus takes this cup to say that this, this cup that he's going to offer, which is the token of his blood, which is given for the remission of our sins, and that he will not take it anymore until one day he drinks it anew with us when we're all gathered in his kingdom. Well, several persons have pointed out things that can be helpful to you when you come to this blessed feast. Remember that it is a meal. We eat to sustain our bodies. And Christ said of himself, I am the bread of life. It does no good to look at a loaf of bread. If we do not take the bread and eat it, we cannot gain the strength from it. And Christ 
comes into our lives and we assimilate him into our being. Uh, and he wants us to know that these elements are tokens of that. Not that any magical transformation takes place here, but that what happens is that we have a little piece of bread in our hand and we have Christ in our heart and our loyalty is yielded to him. It is a feast for the soul and not a feast for the body. And so these common things which anyone could have, these disciples uh, would have, he uses in this wonderful way. He wants it to be a memorial meal, one in which we would remember him. I can still remember as a small child walking down Kaufman Street in the little town in eastern Texas where I grew up. And on Communion Sunday, it was a very solemn occasion. The elders of the church were always dressed appropriately for that day. And I remember walking into the church as a little boy and peering into the sanctuary and seeing that big, huge white cloth over the communion table. And I knew that something very special was going to take place. I knew that everyone spoke in hushed tones. I knew that when the hymns were sung that there was something different there. And I saw more than one person reach for a handkerchief to take away a tear from their eyes because what they were remembering uh, was the love of the Lord Jesus. He, he is seeking for us to remember him as a person and to remember the price that he has paid for our redemption. No price could be greater than that price which has been paid for our redemption. That's why we cannot add anything to it. A moment ago we sang uh, at the opening of the service from one of uh, the greatest hymns in the English language, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Isaac Watts wrote that hymn. Isaac uh, Watts was a little tiny man. He was barely five feet two inches in height and just a, a little frail fellow. But he was very precocious. At the age of four, he learned Latin. At the age of five, he was into Greek. At the age of 10, he was studying Hebrew. He, he was an incredible uh, mind. And then he began to turn that mind of his, which was so brilliant, to the writing of hymns. Because he thought it a pity that in church the psalms were sung, but that somehow Christ was left out of the service. And so he wanted to put Christ into the hymnal. And so he began to write hymns. And so we have sung one of his hymns this morning, which is probably the most famous of them all. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. If we only meant those words, oh, how many quarrels would be avoided. How many fusses would be avoided? The words that I read a moment ago from uh, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth where there were abuses at the Lord's table and where he warned that they were uh, to judge, examine themselves. He's thinking about the church as a body of Christ. He's thinking about husbands and wives who have come into the church and who may be bearing a grudge against each other. 
He's thinking about friends who may live next door to each other and who bear a grudge. And he says these things are to be put away. These things are to be put away. We pour contempt on all our pride. We put those things aside, no matter what they are. Search your heart and ask the Lord to forgive you and to lay aside those things that would separate you uh, from your wife or from your husband or, or from your friend or from whoever you may have offended. Just ask the Lord to forgive you and to make you what you ought to be. And when we do this, communion can be an incredibly meaningful service. When we go away from it, we're changed. We really begin to see things in their proper perspective. We see them as we ought to see them before the Lord. You see, this is a family meal. The church is the family of God. I never sensed this any more than I did the other day when we were down in Florida. Because I knew so many friends in the Presbyterian church, I went next door to the Baptist church where I didn't think they would know me. But you know, I felt very much at home. And the preaching of the word of God, the singing of the hymns that were uh, sung, they blessed my heart, they enriched my life. You could sense the love that's there. We're a part of the family of God. It's a terrible thing when there is a rift in the family when divisions and strife exist. And so we want to uh, put those things aside. Remember the person, Jesus Christ, and remember the price that he paid, and that will help you to put aside those things. And remember the promise that he has made that one day he is coming back again. And that's when that cup of victory will be drunk again. That's when he comes back to claim his own, when he comes back to call us unto himself, that will be wonderful. Those of us who have had the privilege of studying in Scotland and those of us who have been through Presbyterian seminaries never get very far in our reading of biographies of great men until we read about a man who died at only 29 years of age. His name was Robert Murray McChain. And he preached in St. Peter's Church in Dundee. And I can still remember going to Dundee and going to look at St. Peter's Church where Robert Murray McChain had preached. And the secret of Robert Murray McChain was his love for his Savior who had given his all for him. And Robert Murray McChain had at one point in his life no love for the Lord Jesus, no desire to live for him, but his mind was bent on other things. And he had a 13-year-old brother, younger than himself, whom he just adored and loved uh, so much. And the boy was taken swiftly in death. And Robert Murray McChain, in the grief and in the madness of despair that crept upon his soul, did not know which way to turn or where to go. He came into a Scots Kirk, and it was Communion Sunday. And when they began to explain that Jesus had died on the cross and that just as really as you can touch that piece of bread and just as really as you can taste that fruit of the vine, that just that really did God intervene and pay all the price for sin and take it away. And God conquered death through the resurrection of that same Jesus Christ. 
And Robert Murray McChain said when the communion was passed and I touched it, I was saved in that moment. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. F.W. Borum later when he visited St. Peter's Church asked the sexton, he said, what was the secret of Mr. McChain? And he took him back into the vestry and he said, put your, put your elbows down like Mr. McChain did. And he said, now put your head down in your hands like he did. And then he said, now let the tears flow like he did when he prayed for the people in his parish. The week that Robert Murray McChain died, the whole town came and tried to get inside the church. They couldn't, uh, they had queues of people lined up. A great revival swept through Scotland even after he was taken away. And we still sing his hymns, we read his letters, and we're inspired by his example. And then in closing, how do you take the Lord's Supper rightly? Martin Luther, of course, is the theologian that all of those of us who have had to go through seminary like very much. And uh, one of the things I like about Luther is that he writes for small children. I'm looking forward to teaching a communicants class. That's where you teach people how to come to communion and become a communing member of the church. After confession and instruction in the Ten Commandments and the Creed and the Lord's Prayer and the sacraments of baptism and the Holy Supper, the pastor may ask uh, you, do you believe that you are a sinner? And the answer is, yes, I believe it. I am a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, these I have not kept. Are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I am sorry that I have sinned against God. What do you deserve of God because of your sins? His wrath and displeasure and damnation. Do you hope to be saved? Yes, such is my hope. In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? He is the Son of God, true God and true man. What then has Christ done for you that you trust him? He died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. How do you know this? From the Holy Gospel and from the words of the sacrament and by his body and blood given me as a pledge in the sacrament. But what shall a person do if he is not sensible of such trouble and feels no hunger and thirst and he comes to the sacrament. Now listen. To such a person, no better advice can be given than this. That he put his hand into his bosom and feel if he have flesh and blood. And that he by all means believe what the scriptures say in Galatians 5 and Romans 7. That we are sinners. Secondly, that he look around and see whether he still be in this world and keep in mind that there will be no lack of sin and trouble. Thirdly, he will certainly have the devil also about him who with his lying and murdering day and night will let him have no peace 
within or without, as the scriptures picture him in John 8 and 16. You see, Martin Luther, in teaching little children, tells us that because we know our need, that's why you come to the Lord's Supper. I'll never forget a burly old automobile mechanic in a snowed-in session meeting in a church in western North Carolina one night. We had one of those little things where you pray around the room. When I asked for each one of the elders to pray a sentence prayer, I could see this man flinch, and I knew that he'd probably never said a prayer audibly before anyone. And when it got to him, I felt embarrassed that I'd put him on the spot. And there was a long silence. And then I heard that old mountain twang say the most beautiful words. Lord, teach us how much we need you. And you couldn't have made a better prayer if you'd have been Gabriel. We, we need him. This teaches us our need of him. Caesar Milan came into the home of Charlotte Elliott. Her brother was a vicar in, of the Church of England and had a college for girls. And Caesar Milan was teaching Bible there. He was from Switzerland. And he asked her if she believed in Jesus as if she were a Christian, and she was offended. She assumed anyone born in England was a Christian automatically and that that was an end to it and told him to mind his own business. And he apologized. He said he did not wish to offend her. And then two or three days later, she came back to Caesar Milan and said to him that she was sorry that she had spoken abruptly to him. The truth of the matter was that she had had ill health all of her life and that she was mad at God, and that she did not know if she were a Christian or not. And she said, I don't even know how to become a Christian. And Caesar Milan smiled, and he said, my dear, there's only way any of us can become a Christian, and that's just as we are. You come just as you are. And so Charlotte Elliott, wrote the words to the hymn that we sing now in preparing to come to the table. We'll sing the first, second, and last stanzas of number 272.